Yes, hello. Welcome to Herpetological Highlights. This is episode 128 with your hosts, me, Tom Major, and Ben Marshall. And this is the podcast all about reptile and amphibian science. We read the papers, so you don't have to, although you can still if you want. <laughs> if you have access to them. If you have access. <laughs> if you can track them yeah. down. If you're fortunate enough to dwell in an ivory tower, read them. Otherwise, we'll read them for you. And... In this 128th instalment, we are going to be talking about sirens. But before we talk about sirens too much, and this is a Patreon episode, we've got a Patreon episode for Jack Christie, who actually pointed out we've never really talked about sirens. And I imagine many people listening probably don't even know what a siren is. I mean, they sing and coax Greeks into the rocks where they then devour them. Yes. And I think there's a bit of discordance between that sort of myth the myth of the sirens dragging sailors to their deaths on rocks in the sea and the sirens that we're going to talk about which are small well not even that small but they're amphibians that only have two legs that live in swamps i mean they're kind of the opposite of the sort of beautiful sirens that coaxed sailors to their deaths i think you'd have to be pretty heavily interested in herpetology to have one of these coax you to your death in a swamp <laughs> but i don't know swamps can be dangerous I think the main point so is can... that these sirens don't sing, right? They do squeak. They do squeak. They can squeak. Oh, yeah. Attempting alluring squeak. No, it's not particularly oh. alluring. Before we get too heavily invested in sirens, I just wanted to talk a bit about the Patreon site. So you can support the podcast via the Patreon, and everyone that does is incredible. But just wanted to mention before we get started that we have now printed some stickers ben has created a design which is awesome for some stickers so if you join us now and become a patreon at any level i will post you a sticker that you can stick on your laptop you can stick on your water bottle i'm going to be sticking them all over the damn shop <laughs> every surface I own whole... is going to be <laughs> you save one roll for you <laughs> yeah pretty much i love stickers anyway yeah so that's cool if you want to be a patreon even just one dollar a month support the podcast thank you very much and we'll send you a sticker and if you up if you do more you get better benefits and one of the benefits is of course that you can um, pick the topic of a show and that's exactly what jack christie's done today and we're talking about sirens so these are amphibians sneaky amphibians i feel like one of the reasons we haven't covered them very often is there are a particularly difficult group to study. It's like why we haven't done um, Sicilians that much. Yeah, 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 yeah. Trixie. You could be forgiven for thinking that sirens and Sicilians were related. Sicilians, of course, are completely legless amphibians. But actually, no. Sirens are actually in a clade with salamanders. They are a type of salamander. So, um, yeah, they're not legless. They actually have two front legs. They remain their whole lives in their larval life stage, like axolotls. Although they could graduate onto land they no longer do um all of these species remain in their larval form forever so they have external gills that you can see on the side of their heads they're just like these red flappy things that they use to breathe water they also have lungs so they can also breathe air which is pretty cool but they live in the water their whole lives you say the external gills are red that's like your classic albino axolotl color these guys they're not necessarily red they can be nicely in keeping oh, okay. with the rest of the siren coloration Okay, I thought most of the ones I'd seen were red, but yeah, fair enough. They can be... Mm -hmm. Yeah, because red's yeah. a bit obvious. Exactly. Yeah, there's obviously a benefit to be... I mean, I think part of the reason they're sometimes red is because they're just filled up to the gills yeah. with blood. But yeah, no, you're <laughs> right. Actually, they're sort of like black branches, aren't they? They're quite cool. They're not just sort of 
poking straight out of the head. They are kind of on branches, which then have little... Yeah. I mean, it looks like the inside of a lung, basically, I was going to say, it? it's like an inside-out lung. Yeah. It's like your alveoli. It's sort of grotesque an image that is. It's a, not a bad way of thinking about it. Just high surface area for transferring those delicious mm-hmm. gases. And to look at a siren, they are amphibians, but they look like eels at a glance. They've got very long elongated bodies they're quite slender and the tail is actually flattened in this vertically in the same way that an eel tail is flattened but then when you look closely they have these hilarious little front legs right next <laughs> to their heads so they basically look like the front end of a salamander with external gills and then an eel stretching along behind and when they swim around in the water they swim like eels it looks like an eel but then when they land on the bottom of like the lake bed or whatever they use their little hands to run around and scamper about and they eat things like normal salamanders they're pretty funny these little creatures and um yeah you know much like many eels they live in slow moving water they don't have like teeth per se they have this kind of like hard beak and they eat by suction feeding so So what you're saying is they're basically giant tadpoles. In many ways, yeah. I mean, all of these kind of aquatic, cylindrical, amphibious things, yeah. Well, aquatic and amphibious don't go together. These are aquatic. But, you know, if push comes to shove, as I said, they do have these um, small lungs. And so if the water they're in dries out, they can sort of bury into the mud and estivate and breathe air for a little while until it gets nice and wet again. But um, yeah, there's a lot we don't know about these strange bipedal salamanders. We don't know how they mate. We don't know how they court each other, whether there's any courtship behavior. We don't even know if the females lay the eggs before or after they're fertilized. Literally don't know how these things mate. We do know that they lay around about 200 eggs. There's four species of siren and they average around 200 eggs being laid. And one of the things that we don't know that much about them, we know they're predators, but um, the actual means by which they hunt is kind of poorly understood. And so that kind of brings us on to the paper that we're going to be talking about, which is by Martin Gooding, Ford and Plastic in 2013, Sensory Mediation of Foraging Behaviour in the Western Lesser Siren, Siren Intermedia Netting Eye, Journal of Herpetology, this was published in. So, um, like I said, they're living in this kind of swampy, lakey situations. We didn't know, we weren't sure prior to this paper whether or not these sirens were hunting by sight or smell or something else. I mean, they do have little eyes, little unblinking eyes that stare straight through the void and straight into you. If you look at one in the face, it doesn't seem like it's looking back at you. <laughs> They've got the classic aquatic beast thing where their eyes are pointing in slightly different directions. Yeah. And sort of nondescript. <laughs> But also it just kind of looks like their eyes aren't that good. You just get a vibe when mm. you look at their eyes. They're tiny. They're tiny. They look like eyes that are on their way of their way out evolutionarily. They really do. Um, well, okay. I'm going to ask you a question that I know you're unprepared for. You know those olms that yeah. live in the caves? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are they a type of siren? Hmm. No. I'm going to say they're superficially no. looking similar. I don't know. What was the species of those? I think they're called Olm. <laughs> Olm. Um, yeah, they, all I, of these animals, right? You Google them and it isn't what Google assumes. Well, they're just this little group of mysterious, lesser-known amphibians. They're, they're... No, okay, so... Olms do have back legs, too. Yeah, so. I mean, they're also salamanders, so they're not far away, but those are not... But they're not. But yeah. In my mind, I had them, they didn't have back legs. 
but that's they do they just have tiny tiny little back legs i just went from tiny eyes you mentioning them sort of disappearing eyes to cave dwelling salamander like beast and ohm was what popped in my head yeah right so essentially they're all salamanders they're all from the same order of urodela but they're in different families so sirens are serenidae okay and ohms are proteidae so yeah they're not a million miles apart they're all salamanders they feel very very similar in my mind yeah and like very much evolved to do similar things of just sort of like hang around dark swampy places although obviously ohms take it to the next level by living in a cave Right, that's a nice sort of thought there, isn't it? We're talking about an environment here with uh, very murky water where, like you say, eyes are probably not the greatest way of going about it, but there's a big difference between suspecting an animal isn't using its eyes to find food and actually observing it. Mm. And that was the whole impetus behind the study, like you're saying. So we have this wonderful laboratory setup, and so area of water... We've got an acclimatization chamber, which comes up in so many episodes where our little siren siren is held to get used to its environment. And then either end, we'll either have a control, so nothing basically in this case, and a chemical or visual stimuli. So chemical being scent, essentially. I suppose it doesn't have to be detected via a nose, but... Either way, a chemical that can be detected. Yeah, they were using chopped up worms. Yeah, chopped up worm chemical. (laughs) Chopped up worm stench. Or uh, chopped up worms, but where the chopped up worms are not interacting with the water and therefore there is no possibility that those chemical cues are reaching a climatized siren. Yeah? Yep. So big aquarium, two options for the siren. And then the idea is to see whether they're better finding their um, preference for going towards the control or towards one of these stimuli. If they prefer one stimuli to the other stimuli, you've got a pretty decent idea that that's how they're looking for food. Mm-hmm. And they're all pre-fasted. Pre- they're, <laughs> they're already all hungry. hungry. Yeah, they're already yeah, hungry. Four days of standardized, no food for you sirens. Yes, so they're yeah, all yeah. equally equally ready for a tasty snack. And so these sirens are, I didn't mention this, but they're all found in America, aren't they? But these ones were captured from the wild and then used in trials. So they're from like America and Mexico. So they caught them up in their swamps. And like you say, they're exposed to these tests. And it's like, essentially, if you were to do this test on a human being, what you would do is you'd have one experimental arena where there was a nice freshly baked loaf of bread in a small box with holes in. And -hmm. then you'd have... But you couldn't see in the box. But you couldn't see in the box. It was opaque. And then you'd have another box with nothing... And would a human being start looking around, sniffing about near the box with the holes of the bread in? Yes, they would. But then again, the second trial where you just have a closed glass box with a nice piece of bread in it or a box with nothing in it. Human beings would also be drawn to the box with the bread in it because we are visual and smell predators. Right. Is that Although the case? The idea of predating a piece of bread is a funny concept, but yeah. <laughs> ben, I'm so far away from my evolutionary zone right now in the existence that i lead if i need to predate on a piece of bread to feel like a goddamn person just let me (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so ancestors would be proud the long and short of the result of this experiment is that they like smells and not sights right like they loved the smell of chopped up worms and they barely seem to be interested in the sight of yeah 
So basically, the visual one, it was no better than just random chance of 50-50 going towards the control versus where the food actually was. Whereas the uh, one with the chemical cues, what was the percentage difference? There was a nice percent difference. No, they didn't test a percent, did they? Yes, they did. 60% of the time. 60% of the time. They were over closer to the treatment side versus the uh, control side. So they liked the smell of chopped up worms. The thing is, this is one of those studies where it's like, how did we know so little about the animal that we don't even know if they're hunting by sight or smell? And I think the authors... authors I almost want to say, do we even have these studies for other animals? Because we don't. I really don't think these are a super common type of study to be done on, like, I don't know, a vervet monkey or something. Because you sort of don't need to bother a lot of the time because it's not super pertinent to understanding them because you can just observe what they're doing Mm. or you can make very clear inferences from very similar species that we know a lot of i.e ourselves or chimps or something whereas the siren is so so understudied and they're also understudied and they're also in such an alien environment that you can not observe their wild behavior that you do need to do something quite this is a lot of effort to find out a very simple piece of natural history information but it's super necessary to do because I don't know how else you would even... How would you work this out? I feel like, I don't know, a lot of other animals, it hasn't been explicitly tested. It's just sort of assumed and inferred from sort of general knowledge and quote-unquote expertise. Yeah, well, I mean, also you can kind of see, like if a monkey's smelling, it looks like a person smelling. It's sort of like raising its yeah. head in the air and going... <laughs> Whereas with us, what does a blooming two-legged living in a dark salamander look like when right. it smells? A few episodes ago, we chatted about rattlesnakes following like venom cues to find prey. And there's like studies like that that I think are essentially doing what this study is with, okay, are they using chemical cues, but are adding another twist on it because the question can be a little bit deeper because we have a better baseline understanding of the, uh, the species in question. Mm. So... The resounding finding of this paper is that, yes, they can smell. And they say they do mention in this paper that when they're hunting in the wild, they may also be detecting electrical signals or movement in the water as well. And their study didn't actually test for that. They were literally just seeing whether they could see and smell for hunting. And I did a bit of digging on this. And it turns out that salamanders, like all amphibians, have a lateral line system, same as fish have. And that is like this series of nerves which are close to the surface of the skin on their faces and along their flanks which can detect not only changes in water pressure but also they can detect like minute electrical signals coming from animals and the strength of these two different things detecting electrical signals and feeling movements in the water varies species to species but these salamanders actually have a well-developed and advanced lateral line system. And because they're almost exclusively aquatic, they actually hang on to it. Usually when salamanders metamorphose into their adult forms, they lose the lateral line system. It becomes like caked over with skin and stuff because otherwise yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. nerves exposed to air. These guys, <laughs> yeah, don't they have a salamander, them. it hurts. Yeah, I would hate to think of my little... Exposed nerve endings. Yeah, my sensory pits getting all clugged up with gunk. Horrible. So... Yeah. Yeah, these guys have those, and in all likelihood, they are using them to detect pressure changes in the water. And to be honest, I think it's a bit of an oversight by the authors of this paper not to mention that. They kind of allude to it, but they make out that smell is probably the main sense, and I don't know. 
I feel like they're probably not mostly using smell to hunt invertebrates and worms underwater. I feel like their sense of feel and touch and the nerve endings on their faces and bodies would be more useful for that, especially in their murky depths. I and mean, I actually, you would assume that it was more precise, wouldn't you? Exactly, yeah. And like, I don't know. I watched I a bunch know. of YouTube videos of these guys getting fed worms and things in aquariums. And it seems like when they're excited by food, they do this sort of like waggling motion where they swim along, brushing their head into the floor. And they even seem to like squirt water down onto the floor to sort of like elicit movement. And I noticed mm. that when the worms were getting close to them, they'd very suddenly, because they're suction feeders, they'd sort of lash out and suck in. So I think a lot of it is probably about them using their sort of senses using this lateral line system to sense movements and vibrations and electrical signals yeah i mean it sounds like a decent shout i would certainly suggest that moving head side to side though that could just be gaining a better differentiation between two nostrils for the source of the chemical cue potentially same with disturbing substrate is just a technique of getting more of a chemical cue into your nostrils yeah i get what you're saying i think it definitely warrants Basically, this trial again, I think yeah. this is a pretty decent setup, Yeah, but yeah. just wiggle the worms. Yeah, this is exactly <laughs> it. This is the study that has happened. I personally think that they'd get way more excited for something wiggly than something smelly, but that's just my hunch. So you would need to do something wiggly that was... Smellless. How would you do that? How would you practically do that? You'd have to get some kind of like little um, motor... And just mm-hmm. have like a small jelly worm behind some glass. Well, no, it wouldn't even be able to be behind some glass. A small jelly worm attached to a little stick. It can't be behind glass. It has to be a fake worm with no chemosensory. It has to be a scentless worm. Yeah, but you know, like fishing lures, right? You can get yeah. those that are shaped like worms. Have one of them attached to a little piece of wood, little motor, bob it up and down. Blah, 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 blah. See if they spend more time in the vicinity of that than they do smelly chopped up worms. Yeah. I think I know versus control, and you could even throw in the visual one as well as an additional, and do a four-way yep. comparison. If you have access to some of these little bad boy sirens in captivity, send us an email. Let's make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> you have all the resources, <laughs> but we've got the idea of the wiggling worm. <laughs> some sort of motorized scentless worm system yeah it's doable <laughs> but anyway yeah i don't want people to go away thinking that they only use their sense of smell i think the sense of feel muddling around in the dark is probably very important but either way well pre- perhaps the takeaway is not the dominance of smell but the near absence of using visual cues yeah i mean they don't even have eyelids unlike most salamanders they don't blink so they're not even taking the basic precautions with their eyes of blinking <laughs> that's just yeah <laughs> how careless <laughs> yeah useless but yeah so there we go that's uh, a little bit about the hunting strategies of the western lesser siren the strange two-legged amphibian and that leads us quite neatly i think onto our species of the bi week which is actually itself another species of siren so this paper is by graham klein steen and keller here 2018 description of an extant salamander from the gulf coastal plain of north america the reticulated siren siren reticulata published in plus one name of the species in the title no don't like that that spoiled it but never mind shouldn't have read it out but yeah, as we now know, there's this new species of siren, siren reticulata, which is quite cool. So where are we? We're in the USA still, aren't we? Yeah, it's a big, exciting time. This is meant to be one of the largest species described in the US for over 100 years. Wow. Mm. 
And it's quite cool looking. You know, it is a siren, much like we described. It's not particularly slender, though. It's quite a chunky character, but it has got this, like, yeah. back half. Chubby siren. Yeah, basically the back half of an eel, the front half of a salamander. But it's also, unlike the other one we were describing, it's got a really nice pattern on its back, which is what's given it its name. And they've called it Siren Reticulata, which, as we know, means... Well, reticulata, reticulate, it means resembling a net. So it's got this kind of like network pattern on the back, which is quite cool. It's sort of a dark olive colour with a um, lighter... Well, it, I suppose it depends which way you look at it. Do you look at that as a dark, a dark, <laughs> a dark salamander, salamander with with light. pale wiggly lines, or a yeah. pale salamander with dark reticulated splotches? I would go with the latter, where yeah. if it being a pale salamander with dark splotches, and my reasoning is because if you think of a net, a net is made out of pieces of string rope whatever you wouldn't call the gaps in between a net net that's the absence of net hmm you're right you're right <laughs> yeah i think you're tenuous, right tenuous yeah but at least has some logic so the black bits are the net the black bits are the absence of net and they're oh, the absence right, yeah, of salamander yeah i got you i got you i got you I yeah got you. And uh, it's found in very nice little swampy locations. Um, the pictures here are from places in Florida where they've captured them. It just looks like a flooded forest, basically. It's swampy. Yeah. Looks great. I liked what they said in the paper, actually, because in the past we've complained about animals being named after other animals. And we've actually explicitly used the leopard tortoise as an example. And in this paper it says, This animal has been colloquially referred to as the leopard eel. However, given that the species is neither a leopard nor an eel, we selected a reticulated siren <laughs> as a more appropriate formal common name. Honestly, well, yes, so much respect for that decision. Incredible. <laughs> don't name animals after other animals. Give I them mean, their own name. Leopards dubiously don't really have that much of a reticulated pattern when you look at, you know, it's not really reticulated. In the I can't way. even bring an image of a leopard to bear. <laughs> <laughs> Spotted. No, it is quite reticulated, I'd say. Maybe it's spotted, though. It, where the spots begin and reticulations end. Uh, that's a, it is a continuum. I'll, yes, I will definitely give you that. When I think reticulated, I think giraffes. Yeah, agreed. But either way, it's a cool new salamander. And like all sirenids, sirenids, sirens, it has an elongate, eel-like body shape. Two little forelimbs, no eyelids, a lateral line, and enlarged external gills associated with the gill slits. That's how it breathes. And it, no teeth, a horny beak. Wild. So it's also not insignificant in size. It's 33 centimetres SVL with an additional 19 tail. Proper thing then. It Presuming probably... that's in centimetres. Yeah, it can probably... Although I don't see any units anywhere. Yes, I do. It will be that. Yes, it it's centimetres. Yes. Yeah. The biggest of all sirens grow up to like 90, so that's quite a big siren. That and, is um, a big siren, yeah. And that's a big amphibian. It is. so, like, beefy. Yeah. Yeah, and they seem to be quite active in cold weather, which is pretty mad. But yeah, they are big. And yeah, this one, you know, if they're getting that big, they're probably eating serious things. Like, once they get over a certain size, apparently these things love eating crayfish. So maybe that's what the big ones are tackling. God, that's an ask, isn't it? Maybe they freshly, out um, freshly malted. malted crayfish. Yeah, they blatantly yeah, smell ones. out. There's so much to do on these guys. Do they sniff out freshly malted crayfish? Maybe. Oh, 
Well, didn't we cover something where snakes were tracking down freshly molted ones? They preferred ben, yeah, this? of course we did. That's what we're both referring to. <laughs> yeah, okay. We've done it once and then we got... Because there's also some in America that do it. But yeah, the ones... There's all those snakes that live on the, the Malaysian mudflats, whose scientific oh, name yes. I can't bring to bear, but yeah. Okay. Anyway, there we go. So yeah, there's lots to learn about these things. And um, it's cool that there was a nice new species of them described. Yeah, they're beautiful looking. Yeah. Have you got anything else to add about sirens in our patron siren episode? I don't. I'm just sort of awe that they sort of exist. They have a very prehistoric feel to them. Yeah, they do. you got to respect that. They might be my new favourite salamander, actually. Siren reticulata. Reticulatus. Uh, more so than gliding ones we chatted about. Yeah, I feel like the gliding ones are just so immediately likeable. Whereas these, you know, they're living in this fetid <laughs> swamp, crawling yeah. around on their front legs. Yeah. I think that's cool. Siren reticulata, awesome. So yeah, that's about it for sirens. With regards to any other business? No, any other business for me. Okay, I've got one just to say thank you to our newest Patreon. So big up and thanks very much to Will Jewell. And yeah, thank you. Thanks, of course, as well to the Patreon who selected this episode, Jack Christie. And if you want to become our Patreon, you can at patreon.com slash highlights. And if you want to get in touch with us, if you've heard us say something completely nonsensical about sirens, you can. Please correct us, herphighlights at gmail.com. I do feel it's quite likely with a group of animals that we are profoundly unfamiliar with. Yeah, I had to get my textbook out for this one. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. If you want to get in touch, like I said, you can. We're also on social media. So find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And yeah, I think all that remains to be said is thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.